Hi, and welcome to the Radius Church Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you're interested in finding out more information about Radius Church, please check us out on our website, radiuschurch.tv. Well, I just got to say, it is good to be back. And what I mean by that is this. It's been a while since I've been up here. Um, I was up here a few months ago during our discipleship class that we did on, on Wednesday nights. But uh, as far as a, a message on the weekends, it's been since before COVID. So it's been a while, and man, it's good to be back. This is awesome. So uh, I love doing this. I'm, I'm hoping now that we've gotten through the craziness of the last year and a half, I can, I can start doing this a little bit more. And um, yeah, it's awesome. So I've got a word tonight that is something that has been on my heart for a while. In fact, I was, I was just looking at it, uh, the document on my computer, and I started writing this message in October of 2019. And so it's been on my heart for a while, then you know what happened the last year and a half, and now here's the time, we're finally here, I finally have, I'm, 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 I'm busting, I'm like ready, I gotta, I gotta get this out, okay, so, so here we are, it's time, let's dive into it, but first, let's uh, just bow our heads in prayer like we usually do, and uh, ask our Heavenly Father to uh, help us tonight. So, uh, Father God, just thank you so much again for this opportunity, uh, just for using somebody like me to just uh, speak your word. I just pray for every single person in here. I don't believe anybody's here by accident, but everybody's here on purpose. And Lord, I just pray that you would open our hearts, you would open our minds, you would open our ears to hear from you and receive from you. And we thank you for that. In your name we pray, amen. Okay, so today I want to talk to you about two stories. All right, two Bible stories. And the first story is one that I think is one of the most challenging stories in the entire Bible. It's challenging, maybe difficult, maybe a little frustrating in the entire Bible. And the second story is, I think, maybe like the most underrated story in the whole Bible. It's, I feel like, hardly ever talked about, not preached on very much, at least that I've heard. Um, And so it's underrated, but I think it is like one of the most fundamentally important stories in the whole Bible. And so two Bible stories, and it just so happens that they both involve good old Father Abraham. So that's where we're going to go tonight. So the uh, title of my message tonight is called The Sacrifice and the Covenant, and that's a little bit of a clue as to what these stories are and where I'm going. So as I said, the first story is very challenging, and this is the story of Abraham and Isaac out of Genesis chapter 22 when God asks Abraham to sacrifice his son, Isaac. And when I kind of approach the Bible, I I, want to try to always keep the perspective of somebody who isn't a Christian, who who hasn't started their Christian walk, maybe somebody who is critical of Christianity. And this is a story that gets brought up a lot by people who, you know, are critical of the Bible and of Christianity. What kind of God would do this? Why in the world would he ask Abraham? Abraham to sacrifice his own child. And I, I, I try to maintain the perspective. I don't want to lose that because I, I want to try to learn and understand the Bible in a way that I can take to people like that so that they can learn something about the Bible that they've never learned before or see it in a different way or see it in a new light, get a revelation that can, can help them. And so let's read the story out of Genesis chapter 22, the story of Abraham and Isaac or as I'm calling it, the sacrifice. So, 
Uh, We're going to read verses 1 through 2 and then 6 to 14. So here we go. After these things, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains that I shall show you. Verse number six, Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife. So the two of them walked on together. Isaac said to his father Abraham, Father, and he said, Here I am, my son. He said, The fire and the wood are here, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, God himself will provide the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So the two of them walked on together. Verse 9. When they came to the place that God had showed him, Abraham built an altar there there and laid the wood in order. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to kill his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here I am. He said, Do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham looked up and saw a ram caught in a thicket by its thorns. Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. As it is said on this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. Okay, it's a tough one, right? It's a little challenging, What are we supposed to do with this story? What kind of God would do this? So I want to look today at three ways of reading this story. Three ways of understanding it, maybe interpreting it. Three truths that I think that we can pull from this story that I think can help us in dealing with the difficulty of this story. So here we go. Number one is this story is a lesson on sacrifice and obedience. Okay. So, first of all, let's define the word sacrifice, because quite clearly this story is literally about a sacrifice. And so the word sacrifice means to surrender or give up, or permit injury or disadvantage for the sake of something else. Okay, sacrifice is part of life. I think if you've lived more than a few years, you've kind of figured that one out. Now, it can come in different shapes and forms, but In dealing with sacrifice, I kind of started thinking and and asking myself questions. Okay, if sacrifice can be painful, it can permit injury or disadvantage, why do we sacrifice at all? Why do we sacrifice things? Um, Why would we risk the pain or disadvantage for the sacrifice? And really, it's because we are hopeful that the results of the sacrifice will be worth it. We're hoping that whatever we're sacrificing, that the results and the value we'll get back will be worth it. And there's this kind of idea that, okay, if I make a small sacrifice, you know, maybe hopefully reap a small reward, but if I sacrifice something bigger, more important, more valuable, maybe I'll get a bigger and more valuable reward. And so really when we sacrifice in life, we are committing to pursuing what is meaningful and not what is just easy and feels good at the moment. And it's why things like, oh, I don't know, we don't blow our entire paychecks every time we get paid on just whatever. We put some in the savings account because we know tomorrow's coming and we don't know what the unknown future holds. And so we got to sacrifice a little so that one day we can reap the reward of that sacrifice. 
And so in this story, God tests Abraham and he asks him to make the ultimate sacrifice, to give up what he values most. And so it's this test of obedience. It's a test of faithfulness. And are we, bil- are we willing to be obedient? Are we willing to sacrifice to God ourselves? And really, that's what this story is doing. It's painting a picture of the value of that, of the importance of that obedience. And so you can imagine trying to get across that point, how, how important it is to be obedient and faithful to the Lord. What would be the hardest situation to be obedient in? This one. The, to, to sacrifice what you value most would be the, the hardest point, or the hardest situation. And here's, here's something that I heard just recently that really, um, it, it stuck with me. I heard a pastor say, he said, there's a difference between what the Bible says and what the Bible preaches or what the Bible teaches. And this story, yes, it says God asked Abraham to sacrifice his son. That's not really the point of the story. The point that it's getting across is not that God is a God who condones child sacrifice. It's trying to paint a picture of the importance of our faithfulness and our obedience to the Lord. It tells a truth about the character of God that even in the most difficult situations and circumstances that we might find ourselves in, that if we are willing to be obedient, and in this story, literally, God will show up at the place of sacrifice. My dad told me, and this is one of the lessons he told me growing up that stuck with me. He said, Jake, anything worth having in life is worth fighting for. Or if I could change that word, it's worth sacrificing for. And that stuck with me. And in today's world, we have... We have this idea of freedom, and typically when you think of America, freedom is kind of probably the next word that you think of. We have this idea of freedom, and, and what is freedom? And, and we kind of usually understand that, well, I can, I can go do whatever I want to do. I can go spend my time however I want to spend it. But the thing is, we don't actually reap any benefits of freedom until we actually make a decision and act on the freedoms that we have. And by doing that, that involves a sacrifice. So let's kind of give a simple example. If I want to learn how to play the guitar or cook, I got to sacrifice my freedom, my time, to go learn how to do something. But if you sacrifice enough and continually do that, eventually you'll enjoy the value that comes with knowing how to play guitar, knowing how to cook, or whatever. You get to enjoy the values and the benefits of the, f- that f- the freedom that comes with that new skill or whatever it is. And that can also apply to our, our commitment to Christ. It is a sacrifice to commit yourselves to the Lord, to make a commitment for Christ. And the Bible tells us in Luke chapter 9, verse 23, it says this, And he said uh, to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Galatians 5, 24 It tells us, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. But the thing is, is if we sacrifice and commit ourselves to Christ, we understand that there's a freedom and there's a value that comes with that. And so to kind of summarize this point, no matter what you believe God is asking of you, uh, no matter what you believe he is telling you, no matter what you believe he is asking you to sacrifice, if you will be obedient he will show up, and he will provide. So that's number one. It is a lesson of sacrifice and obedience. Okay, number two is this story, we can read this as a new understanding of God. 
Now, this, story, this, this point here involves some, some history, and if you don't like history and it bores you, you can, I give you permission to tune me out for the next five or six minutes, but I love history, so this point, is, this point fires me up, okay? So one of the things that is important when we're reading the Bible to remember is that we're reading the Bible as Americans who live in the 21st century. Only the Bible wasn't written in the 21st century. It was written a long time ago. And so we need to try to do our best to remove those modern lenses, if you will, to try to understand these stories, in particular this story, in its ancient historical and cultural context. Okay, so what does that mean? Well, the Israelites at this time, and we're talking somewhere in the neighborhood of, oh, I don't know, 4,000-ish years ago. It's a long time ago. The Israelites were were part of what is known as the ancient Near Eastern cultures, okay? And in the ancient Near Eastern cultures, this idea of sacrifice was very prevalent. In fact, this idea of sacrifice has been around since probably the beginning of human beings. And in these ancient, in these ancient times, during that time, sacrifices were made to appease the gods. And all the surrounding cultures and all the surrounding religions, they were all polytheistic at that time. They believed in the sun god, and the moon god, and the rain god, and the earth god, and all, all those. And, and so this story reflects how the god of the Israelites, Yahweh, is different than all those other gods. So to try to get into the mindset, just try to picture with me, if you will. Okay, there's these people thousands of years ago, and they notice there's this flaming ball of fire in the sky. There's this stuff that falls from the heavens. There's something going on here. There's something, you know, it, the, the circle of life are, is going on, right? There's something going on that's keeping the world moving. This stuff falls from the sky. This flaming ball is up in the sky, and we need that because that somehow affects the, the food that grows, and we need the food because we got to survive, and, and when harvest time comes, we are hoping that there is enough food so that we don't starve. And, and so we, they've seen the value in that, and so, okay, now what do we do? Well, there's, again, this force, these gods, if you will, as they understood them, that is controlling all this, that is beyond our control, and we don't understand. And the gods required sacrifice, because we want to keep the gods happy, we want them to look down upon us favorably, so that when harvest time comes, there's enough food, so that we don't starve. And, and last year, we sacrificed this much, and, but last year, you know, the harvest wasn't very good, and, and, and we didn't have enough food, and some of us died. So this year, when it comes time to sacrifice, well, we better sacrifice more. And that was the thing. How much sacrifice do the gods require? They require more. They require more. And so that's this idea during these times. Now, Abraham was a product of his day and his time, just like we are. And it's really unavoidable. And... Abraham is, we know him as the, he's the father of the faith. He's the father of the Israelites. And, and he didn't grow up in Jewish or Israelite culture because he was the first one. There was no Jewish or Israelite culture to grow up in. And so his story, God asked him to leave his home of Ur of the Chaldeans, which is ancient Mesopotamia, which happens to be modern-day Iraq. And Abraham would have been very familiar with this idea of the many gods, of all the surrounding religions and tribes and the sacrifices that they required. And so, in looking at this story, it's interesting when God asks Abraham to sacrifice his son, 
Why doesn't Abraham say no? That would be our initial response, right? Like, are you kidding me? I'm not doing that. What? Uh, he doesn't say no. Um, he doesn't even seem to be shocked about this concept, about an idea of a divine being requiring a sacrifice because all divine beings at that time required sacrifice. And so Abraham, as crazy as this sounds, at that time is maybe just doing what's normal. And that sounds crazy to us, but here's the point. The shocking part of this story is not a divine being requiring sacrifice, because they all did. The shocking part of this story is a divine being that says, stop, don't do it. There's a ram in the thicket. Take that instead. That's the shocking part of this story. See, we read it today, and what's shocking to us is, again, God requiring the sacrifice of the son. But we know more today than Abraham knew. Abraham didn't have hundreds or thousands of years worth of history of the Israelites to look back on. Because, again, he's the first guy. Abraham didn't have a Bible to read. Abraham didn't have Jesus yet to look at and, and see his story. He's trying to figure out, okay, what kind of God is this? What, who am I dealing with? What's, what's going on here? What is he really like? And, and so the shocking part is the angel and God saying, stop, take the ram instead. Um, it shows how the God of the Israelites was different than all the other gods. It's an understanding that um, God isn't bloodthirsty, that God, God accepts a sacrificial substitute. Um, God revealed an aspect of his character through this story, and this idea and this understanding of God was a, a, a brand new and revolutionary idea into our understanding of God at that time. That's pretty good, isn't it? Yeah, I like that one. That's good. So that's number two. Let's go to number three. Number three is this story is a reflection of Jesus. So Jesus, one of the amazing things about Jesus, and there are many, but one of the cool things is that the story of, of Christ and, and Jesus' story in the New Testament, it causes us to go back and completely like reinterpret the entire Old Testament. Because, because of Jesus, we now can go back and reinterpret the Old Testament and look at it through the lens of Christ or in light of Christ. And by the way, if you happen to be a newer Christian in the room, or maybe you're just starting out reading the Bible, or you know somebody who's a new Christian, I would highly recommend to start in the New Testament first and then go back and read the Old Testament. Because when you start with Jesus, and then you can go back and read the Old Testament, and you'll see patterns of Jesus all over the Old Testament. And, and see, the Old Testament just, it, it just kind of ends. It's like the ultimate cliffhanger, okay? The last book is Malachi. The last word in Malachi is the word curse, and you're just like, okay, well, what does that mean? What, what happens now? What, what, what do we do now? And thankfully, Jesus comes along and gives us the ending to the story that we so desperately needed, and so we see patterns of Jesus all throughout the Old Testament, and this is one of those patterns. This is one of those stories. And it's really cool because the, the New Testament writers will do these things, people like Matthew and Paul, where they will quote like Old Testament scripture verses, and they'll inject Jesus into the story. And, and you go back and read those stories, and you're like, well, well, Jesus wasn't there. It's like, yeah, not in the flesh, but he was there. His spirit was really there. 
And so, again, we see Jesus all throughout the Old Testament. Now, in this story, we are Isaac. We, the people, we are Isaac. And Christ is the Lamb. And how many times in life have you felt like Isaac? Maybe you've been in need of rescue. Maybe you've been in dire circumstances and difficult situations, and you didn't know what was going to happen. You didn't know how you were going to get through or how you were going to get out. And somehow beyond all reasoning and understanding, you just continue to trust God that he would show up. And just when you thought he wasn't going to come through, he shows up right in the nick of time because the ram in the thicket appears and he shows up. The, uh, the fact that this story you calls Christ a lamb or a ram is not accidental. It's not coincidental. It's very purposeful and very intentional. Because we can read in John chapter 1, verse number 29, it says, The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. In the last point, I talked about how God accepts a sacrificial substitute, and that's Jesus. He's the Lamb. He's the sacrificial substitute on our behalf. And so... That is number three. This story is a reflection of Jesus. Now, to kind of conclude this story and to go into the next one, this story obviously reflects a radical level of trust. I think we would all agree. It's an incredible level of trust on Abraham's part to trust that God would come through and would provide. And so the question from there is, okay, Jake, but how do we know that we can trust God this much? How do I know I mean, this is a wild level of trust. How do I know I can trust him this much? And that takes us to our second story. And the second story is the story of Abraham and the covenant. And as I mentioned, I I feel like this is a story that is not as well known. It's underrated, and but it is so important. And I think it's pretty clear that the most important story in the whole Bible is the death and resurrection of Jesus, but this might be number two. It's certainly in the top three. When we understand the meaning of this story, it is just powerful. I remember the first time I heard uh, this story preached on, it was somewhere around eight years ago, and I was working at a bank, and I was just there working, and it was kind of one of them slow, boring days, one of those days where I was just like, I don't feel like working. So I thought, you know what? I'm going to listen to a message, okay? And that's what I did. And I don't recommend slacking off at work, but I could have done something worse, I guess. I was trying to, you know, keep it somewhat spiritual. So I was like, hey, let's plug in a message, okay? And I listened to a message by a pastor by the name of Tim Keller, and he has had a a huge just impact on my life and, and his messages. And he preached this message called A Covenant Relationship, where he talks about this story. And when, when I got an understanding of, of what the covenant meant, I remember sitting there right there in the bank at my desk, and it just like hit me. I had this like jaw-dropping, holy smokes moment, and it was like a, a hidden gem from the Bible had just re- been revealed to me that I had like never heard in my 20-something years up until that point. And ever since then, that story stuck with me, and you know, I was like, I, I got to preach this because it's, it's just awesome. So... The second story, Abraham and the Covenant, we're going to jump back a few chapters to Genesis 15, and let's start reading it. 
So we're going to read verses 5 through 12 and 17 and 18. Here we go. This is God and Abraham. It says, He brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and count the stars if you are able to count them. Then he said to him, So shall your descendants be. And he believed the Lord, and the Lord reckoned it to him as righteousness. Then he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. And verse number eight, but he said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? And we're going to come back to that. Verse nine, he said to him, bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. He brought him all these and cut them in two, laying each half over against the other, but he did not cut the birds in two. And when the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abraham or Abram drove them away. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram, and a deep and terrifying darkness descended upon him. And now verse 17. And when the sun had gone down, it was dark. A smoking firepot and flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your descendants, I give this land. Okay. Here we go. So to kind of, we're going to kind of go through this little bit by bit. So part of the covenant that God, or the covenant that God is making with Abram, he's, he's, he's basically telling him four things. He's saying, uh, he's promising that he's going to have a son because Isaac hadn't been born yet. He's promising, Abraham, I'm going to bless you. He says he's going to become the father of many nations, and he said he's going to take possession of this land, which is the promised land, the land of Canaan. Okay, and now verse number eight. If you could bring back verse number eight on the screen, that'd be cool. Um, Abraham says, how am I to know that I shall possess it? How do I know? I'm sure we've all felt like that at some point. Lord, how do I know I can trust you? How do I know I can trust your promises? I can take you at your word. Lord, I, I want certainty. I, I don't want faith. I want to know, right? And God says, yeah, bring me a heifer and a goat and a lamb. And we read that and we're like, wait, what? I just want to know if I can trust your promise and you tell me to bring you a heifer, a goat, and a lamb, and pigeons. What's going on here? What, what's happening? But Abraham knows exactly what's going on. And he knows exactly what to do. See, Abraham brought the animals like God told him because he knows what's going on. And this is weird in our understanding, but again, you've got to try to understand it in the ancient context because we don't do this today, thankfully. This is how two parties would engage at that time in a covenant. That's what's going on. Okay, so let's define the word covenant. The word covenant, it's often a legal term. And it is agreement between two or more people to do or not do something specified. Okay, so in our world today, we, you know, sign documents, put our signature on things. That's kind of the modern equivalent, right? Thankfully, we don't have to kill animals. That would really stink. Uh, so we sign documents and put our signature on stuff. And what would happen is, at that time, Abraham knew what to do. He would cut, you'd cut the animals in half and you would lay them across from each other, and you would formulate a pathway between the halves of the dead animal carcasses, and you would walk through the pathway with the dead animals on each side. And both parties engaging in the covenant would walk through this pathway with the dead animals on each side. And essentially what they were saying is, if I don't uphold my end of the deal, 
may I become like these sacrificed animals. That's pretty intense, right? So covenant, as we've established, is often a legal term, but it often binds itself into our relationships as well. There's something we're going to talk about called a covenant relationship, but let's look at, at, at relationships a little more in depth. So there's kind of the modern understanding uh, or a modern relationship, and that's looked at as that the individual rights reign supreme. It's all about me. And it's essentially somebody saying, I'll be what I should be as long as you are and to the degree that you are what you should be, and if you're not, then I'm out. And this can also be kind of viewed as a consumer relationship, and it's maybe how we view the grocery store. I'm going to go to this store because I can get this product at this price, but if they put a, a store in that's closer to my house, I don't have to drive as far, and I can get the same thing at a cheaper price, then I'm going to go there. And there's nothing wrong with that, but when a consumer relationship goes into our more important relationships, that's when things can get a little messy, and they shouldn't really go into those things. So let's look at a covenant relationship. So a covenant relationship is different because it's not about the individual rights. It's the relationship itself that reigns supreme. It's where both parties are saying, okay, I'm going to be what I should be, regardless of whether you are what you should be or not. But it only works if both parties say this, because if only one of them says it, then you have a relationship that is exploitative or abusive, and that's not good. And so the covenant relationship really should be how our understanding of what marriage should be. It's when two people come together and say, okay, I'm here. I'm not leaving, no matter what. And when you have both of them saying that, now you can tell the truth. Now you can go about changing things that need to be changed and fixing things that need to be fixed and resolving problems and difficulties. And so that's the covenant relationship. You know, it's, it's, it's common in our world today to hear people say things like, I'm spiritual, but I'm not religious. I'm sure we've probably all heard that or some variation of that. And, and it's, it's kind of hard exactly to pinpoint. I feel like it's such a vague term. It's like, I don't really know what to make of that. But I, I, I have a, an idea of what I think it means, at least in a lot of cases. I think it means somebody who's saying, yeah, I, I believe in God, but I, I don't want to go to church or necessarily prioritize having a community with like-minded believers or like-minded people. I don't want people to tell me what to believe or I don't want to give up my freedom to decide what is right and wrong for myself. I want a consumer relationship with God, but I don't want a covenant relationship with God. And so, as I've said, covenant is often a legal term, but it also finds itself into our relationships. And so a covenant is a mixture of law and love. The legal term of law, the, lo the relational term of love. And so we see that mixture of law and love in the covenant. And God wants to have a covenant relationship with us. And if there's this mixture of law and love, it leads to what I'm going to call the mystery of the covenant. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a question. We're going to put it up on the screen. You don't need to answer out loud. But it's just something to think about and chew on for a few minutes because I'm going to go and unpack the rest of the story and then we're going to circle back to this question, okay? You guys ready? The mystery of the covenant is this. This mixture of law and love, it leads us to the question, are the blessings of God conditional or unconditional? And that's the question. Okay, think about it for a few minutes. Let's unpack the rest of this story. Okay, so in continuing along, 
we see in the story in verses 17 and 18 that the smoking fire pot and the blazing torch pass between the pieces. And the torch and the fire pot represent the spirit of God. And by this covenant, by it passing through, God is telling Abraham, I am trustworthy, I will stay true to my word, I will fulfill my promises, you can trust me. And that's great, that's awesome, but it gets better. See, God and only God passed through the pieces. Abraham didn't. So God was taking on the responsibility of carrying out the covenant on behalf of both parties, himself and Abraham. What does this mean? Oh, it means some good stuff. Okay. So this is what's happening. God is saying to Abraham, Abraham, I'm going to bless you. Okay? I will hold true to my word and I will bless you. Abraham, not only that, I will bless you even if you don't uphold your end of the deal. Even if you're unfaithful and disobedient, I will still bless you. And if you read through the Old Testament, you will see a lot of it is seemingly just a vicious cycle of the Israelites continually being disobedient and unfaithful to the Lord and God time and time again coming through and being faithful over and over and over again. However, it even gets one step better than that. God says, Abraham, I'm going to bless you. Abraham, I will bless you even if you don't uphold your end of the deal. And one more, I will even take your punishment that was meant for you for being unfaithful. I will take that myself and I will still bless you, Abraham. That's how much you can trust me. Abraham, I will bless you. I will be faithful even if I have to die. And guess what? That's exactly what happened. And I think you guys know where I'm going with this because when the proper time came, a child was born in the city of Bethlehem, man, and his name is Jesus. Come on now, right? Jesus was there, and he died on that cross to fulfill the conditions of the covenant. He died so that we could be received unconditionally by God the Father. Let me prove it to you in Galatians chapter 3. It says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. I'm going to skip the rest and just jump to verse 14. In order that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of who? Abraham might come to the Gentiles. By the way, we are the Gentiles. So that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Man, it's good stuff. Okay. So, as I said, Jesus fulfills the conditions of the covenant so that we could be received and accepted unconditionally by God. And so Christ is our way into that covenant relationship which we can have today. And a lot of times, people will approach God in that consumer mentality that we think if we do something wrong, God will punish us, and so it keeps us from admitting our sins and repenting. If we do all the right things, then it's going to keep God happy, and he will look down upon us favorably and bless us, so we think his love is conditional. And so this brings us back to the mystery of the covenant, the mixture of law and love. And here's why it's a mystery, to expand on that a little more. Because we see scripture verses in the Bible where God says, if you want to be blessed, you must follow my commands. And then we see other verses where God says, I will never leave you or forsake you. And we see verses where it seems like God's saying, I can only bless you if you obey me. And other verses, God says, I'm going to bless you no matter what. And so there seems to be this contradiction. There's this tension there in the mystery of the covenant. What do we do? So are the blessings of God conditional or unconditional is the question. And typically people will come down on one side or the other. 
You've got people saying, well, it's, it's really conditional. Yes, God loves you and you're covered in grace, but really, I mean, you, you, you gotta, I mean, you gotta follow what he said. You gotta be obedient. You, you, gotta, you gotta put some work in. And other people say, well, yeah, you know, you should be obedient. That's important, but really, you know, God loves everybody and, and he's got you. You guys finally ready for the answer? <laughs> Have I driven this point home enough yet? Okay, the answer to the question, are the blessings of God conditional or unconditional? The answer is yes. Ooh. I bet you didn't expect that, did you? Okay. Now let me explain and let me unpack this a little bit. Okay. So let me explain by giving you two points. This is what a covenant relationship will lead to. It will lead to two things, and this is how we sort out the mystery of the covenant. Okay. Number one is a covenant relationship will lead to obedience. Yes, we are saved by grace, 100%. You will, we will preach that here at Radius till kingdom come. It's not about what you do. It's not about having to earn it. We can't do enough. We can't earn it. We're not good enough. It is unmerited favor that Jesus Christ, because of what he did, we have freely. All you have to do is accept it. However, when we get a true revelation of grace and his love and what Christ did for us, it will change you from the inside out. Maybe not all right away, maybe not overnight, but it's the journey of step by step, day by day, that it will change what you say and what you do and how you act. See, something as beautiful and life-changing and amazing as grace, it can't be taken lightly. It shouldn't be taken lightly. When we know what Jesus did so that we could have the free gift of grace, we got to take that seriously, everybody. And so when the Bible says things like, you know, to avoid anger and jealousy and envy and selfishness and pride and bitterness and unforgiveness and all that, we don't want those things taking hold and, and growing roots in our heart. And so we're going to do our best to avoid sin, avoid sin like crazy, but also know that every time we fail, and we all will, we're caught in his grace every single time. And so... Uh, our obedience and our works of being obedient to the Lord and being faithful to the Lord, it's our way of showing our thankfulness to what Jesus did. It's our way of showing appreciation for the amazing price that he paid for us. It's not a way of earning your way into God, but it's just simply saying, God, thank you so much for the price that you paid so that I could have the free gift of grace. And so when we understand this balance of the covenant, this mixture of love and law, we resist sin like crazy, but we also never have feelings of shame and condemnation when we fall into it. And so that is the first one. The second one is that it will lead to trust. Covenant relationship leads to trust. And if you remember, I asked a question at the end of the first story. The story of the sacrifice, it is a radical level of trust. Yes, but Jake, how do I know I can trust him this much? Here you go. It's the covenant relationship. Um, it means we know we can trust God. It's interesting to me how the story of Abraham and Isaac, it comes after the story of the covenant. And, and going back and reading it, when, when Isaac asks his father, you know, we've, we've, got, we've got the fire, we've got the wood, but who will provide the lamb? And, and Abraham says, you know, God will provide the lamb. And sometimes I'm wondering, like, did, did, he, did he really, like, did he really think God was going to provide the lamb or was he just sort of 
you know, trying to keep Isaac from asking too many uncomfortable questions, right? Like, it's fine, you know, he's going to provide it, it's okay. Um, or maybe Abraham was really onto something because seven chapters earlier, yeah, but he just made a covenant with me, and he walk, was the only one who walked through the pieces. He took the responsibility on both of our behalf. So, Isaac, you know, yeah, I don't know where the lamb's coming from, but it will be provided. Amen. Okay. Uh, I will conclude with this. Matthew chapter 7. I don't have it on the screen. I'm not going to read it, um, but it's only a couple verses that I want to reference. And it's the story of, or the parable. I don't know if it is a story or a parable, but it's the story of the, the broad gate and the narrow gate. And it's so powerful. And I just want to conclude by talking about it and how it relates to this. See, uh, the kind of the typical understanding of religion is about having to earn it, about having to work for it, about, you know, if, if I do good enough and, and, and I walk down the path long enough and I don't fall too many times, eventually, hopefully, I'll, I'll get to the gate and, and God or whoever will look down favorably upon me and, you know, he said, you did a good enough job, come on in, right? But it says, the narrow, it says, narrow is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to, I believe it's life, um, and it's interesting, the order, because Christianity takes that and flips it completely upside down. Because the gate is first, and then the road. And this is how we know we can trust him, because in Christianity, you enter through the gate first. You, that is step one. That is salvation. You are in the family. You are worthy. You are in Christ, step one, day one, welcome through the gate. Now, because of that, now go lead a good life. Now go be the hands and feet of Jesus. And now listen, you can hang out at the gate for as long as you want. You're in the family. You're accepted. You are no less saved if you're at the gate than if you're a million miles down the road. There's no seniority. There's no hierarchy. You are just as loved and accepted at the gate as however far down the road you are. However, you would think eventually the view from the gate gets a little old. I, uh, I mean, you know, we live in an amazing state in an amazing area. I've been to, I think, like 30 states. Washington blows them all out of the water. The Skagit Valley, I mean, look anywhere. It's just like, holy smokes, this is amazing. And I have a beautiful view right in my living room. I live just a few minutes up the road. I have this big old, like, eight-foot-wide picture frame window right in my living room, and it's a beautiful view right on top of a hill. And I see it every day, and sometimes, you know, it's like I, I got to remind myself not to take it for granted because sometimes it, you know, it gets a little old. I'm just used to it. I see it every day, right? But sometimes you need a change of view. So I go out on a hike, and I want to see something new. And that's why we got to go down the road because if you travel down the path, your perspective will change. You will learn things. You will see amazing sights. And so to put it simply, here's maybe oh, I don't know, your tweetable moment. Don't just be a gate dweller, be a path walker, all right? Walk down the path, right? We got to show our thankfulness to the Lord by walking down the path because, again, we walk through the gate day one. Holy smokes, that's amazing. Now go lead a good life. Now go out on serve day, August 7th, and love on some people and show them the love of Christ and be the hands and feet of Jesus and find a need and fill it and find a hurt and heal it and keep on marching down the path, everybody. And that's all I got for you. Is that good? Are we good? All right. All right.